Okay. So I will just let you take over <laughs> the class and okay. you well, want to share. Everyone. And uh, nice to be with you. It's uh, certainly uh, an auspicious occasion. And um, let me see here. Okay. Yes, uh, and uh, it's not a subject that we haven't uh, discussed, but um, certainly we haven't exhausted all that there is to say about such a great person as Thakur and Bhakti Vinod. I've uh, referred to him as the first Western convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and uh, that was appreciated by persons outside of our Sangha who notified me about that. So I think we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, in the course of the discussion, um, where we'll go, I'm not sure, but um, but um, we, uh, based on the inspiration, insight of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, refer to our Sangha in a broader sense as the as uh, an extension of the Bhakti Vinod Paribar, so the family of, uh, of Bhakti Vinod, the spiritual family of Bhakti Vinod. And um, <clears throat> I have mentioned in the past, it's worth repeating that um, the precedent for such, um, and what I mean by that is sometimes it's thought that the party bars have to extend, have to have their beginning with the immediate associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like Nityananda Prabhu, Advaita Gadadhar, um, Rupa Wasami, and so forth. Um, and so, Bhakti Vinod Paribar, by that standard, would seem uh, inappropriate. But as I've said before, there are other um, precedents. The Narutam Paribar comes to mind. The um, um, oh, who's that? His name is escaping me. Shamananda Paribar, also. Um, each of th of these great uh, luminaries were uh, appeared after the disappearance of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and their <clears throat> their gurus were, and and Param gurus in the case of Shamananda Prabhu, were uh, direct associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, because of their contributions in the case of Narutam, wide dispensation. In the case of um, Shamananda, some very extraordinary internal esoteric um, developments. Uh, they have been uh, the, the, the lineages stemming from them have been referred to as the Shamananda Paribar, Narutam Paribar, rather than, for example, in the case of of um, <coughs> Narutam, the Lokanath Paribar, who he's the Guru of and who disciple of and who was the immediate associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So um, precedent, that precedent is there. And 
And furthermore, the very idea of such a necessity is interesting and endearing in many respects and has some substance to it, but at the same time, it is uh, somewhat um, actually external and um, somewhat of a, of a, of a, of a, of a detail. Hmm? And unfortunately, and this was brought up by Bhakti Vinod, um, and we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that, a touch on that. Um, <clears throat> um, the idea of such a necessity, hmm? with the party bar being directly connected in the unbroken chain in literal sense of the Guru Parampara is a bit of a Kanishtik Adhikari um, notion. Hmm. Um, so, uh, Bhakti Brunan Parivar, Pijai. And I'll come back to that. But Natako um, was uh, born in, I believe, 1830, 1838, mm -hmm. in uh, West Bengal, in the Ula district. And he was born of a Kayasta family. It's interesting because, of course, he became the great luminary that he was. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, without having hailed from a distinguished, uh, in terms of the social religious structure of the time, family. He wasn't from a Brahmin family. Um, he wasn't uh, from, from the Vaishnava perspective, one of the Goswami, Jati Gosai Goswami families, which would have been Brahmins as well. Um, he wasn't um, a, a renunciate in the overt sense, which would have brought him, of course, that doesn't have to do with his birth, but, but his character, but uh, rather from a, a, a Kayasa family, which is a, which is a, technically speaking, it's a Sudra family, but they were elevated um, in terms of practical activity to take up positions of management and, 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 uh, uh, clerics and uh, and in his case work in the in the, judi uh, the judicial system uh, at the time. We may recall from Chaitanya Lila itself that um, Ramananda Roy was from a, a Kayasta community and he became a political appointee, kind of a governor or ambassador of the Rajputta Parudra um, in his in his time, um, but not a particularly distinguished uh, family, but nonetheless, not a, not a poor family. And they were part, his family, of the beginning of, of what um, developed into a, a, a recognizable middle class in, uh, in India, uh, I should say in Calcutta, in West Bengal, in that area, I can't really say it uh, to what extent there was a middle class developing throughout India, but, but the capital, not only of India, but in many respects, the capital of the world was Calcutta because the British Empire was the most prominent, uh, the British government was the most prominent influence in the world. Um, 
and uh, it was uh, colonizing around the world and so forth. It is said that the sun never set on the British Empire. It was so spread so far and wide, and India was one of its big um, conquests, if you will, the colonization of, of India. And Calcutta was the capital, and it was so centrally located compared to, say, London, hmm? um, in terms of trade routes and so forth, it, it, it became the center, really. Uh, it became the, the New York, if you will, uh, from an American perspective, uh, the Big Apple uh, of, the, of, of the world. It was really the hub of all types of, um, as I say, uh, trade and in uh, all types of markets then were available, products and so forth in Calcutta. And uh, above all, it, it, it was the, the center of intellectual uh, discussion. Hmm? Uh, 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 the um, discussing of, of ideas and, and um, philosophical thought hmm? uh, for the whole world. Hmm? And so uh, 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 was a very uh, special place and for, and for religious discussion. And, and this was a kind of meeting of the East and the West. The Western had, had, West had developed to a certain extent, materially speaking, in ways that exceeded, you could say, the development within, within India. And meanwhile, India had this very different from the Christian British uh, Western religious idea, a spiritual uh, perspective that was odd, pagan from the Christian point of view, but not the ordinary, uh, Hindus weren't the ordinary type of people to convert <laughs> to, uh, to, to Christianity. Hmm? Um, while they were, I suppose, pagan from a Christian point of view, they had books, uh, it wasn't witchcraft uh, and, and, and sorcery and shamanism and so forth. They had texts and they were written in, uh, in Sanskrit, a very developed language and so on and so forth. So uh, there was a big exchange of ideas. And then for the Hindus, um, so many big, big, very significant historical uh, persons in the Hindu community, Ramahan Roy, Dvijendranath uh, Tagore, Rabindranath Tagore, who met with Einstein and so forth, were all in the mix of an emerging middle class in Calcutta and the discussion of ideas. Um, and so, while born in, in Ula district, Bhaktivinoda Thakur moved for his teenage years into Calcutta. And there he was uh, schooled uh, in the British system. And he was in the mix of all of these um, ideas. And so he was familiar with Schopenhauer and Hegel, Kant, uh, and uh, Berkeley and other Western ph philosophers and, and their ideas. And of course, he was also um, educated on the other side with Shankar's monism and 
um, um, other schools of uh, Indian thought, in the mix of which Vaishnavism was not uh, very prominent. It had receded, as the Gita says, sometimes um, the tradition does, by the influence of time, into the, into the background, and it was um, not really part of the mix of ideas and religious reform and new light and looking, let's say, for example, at the Hindu uh, perspective in light of new insights about the nature of the world, science, um, Western philosophy, um, and so forth. <clears throat> this had happened to Christianity um, earlier on when uh, the Christian faith-based um, tradition had to interface with ideas of Aristotle that kind of began Christian theology and rationalizing about faith um, in relation to observation, um, and uh, what the faith, what what the, what uh, the faith tradition had thought, uh, um, you have the you know another example would be the Copernican uh, revolution, where it was thought that the I guess I didn't read it, but the Bible taught that the Earth was a, a, a geocentric rather than a heliocentric uh, perspective. I think Galileo might have, lost, might have almost gone to the Gal. Guillotine, he lost his head over that. <laughs> so, um, but you know, eventually the that that perspective um, prevailed and was, and faith was um, challenged by objective observation and reason, and then strengthened ultimately by it. So. Uh, this was happening to Hinduism at this point, so it was kind of a kind of a renaissance, if you will, uh, for for Hinduism. And Bhaktivinoda was in the mix of all this, but as I say, Gaudiya Vaishnavism was not very much in the mix of it. That doesn't mean to say that there weren't saintly persons within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but they were in the Dhams rather than in Calcutta. They were not interfacing with such ideas. There's even evidence. Uh, speaking of the Copernican Revolution, as I, as I, ha as I have just, just uh, moments back, um, uh, there's some interesting um, documentation of how that particular insight was um, ignored by the Vrindavan uh, Goswamis in their time. Mm -hmm. Um, where it, whereas it was uh, uh, the challenge that, that presented to traditionalists in India was was taken up by some Indians who didn't fare so well against it. Some integrated it, and so on and so forth. Uh, this was, of course, quite earlier on than the time we're talking about the birth of Bhaktivinoda and the position of Calcutta and the British Empire, and so forth. Um, but by the time of Bhaktivinoda. Uh, such influences, insights, and so forth could not be ignored hmm, if your religious tradition was to have um, 
power, influence, credibility in, 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 in those times. The Goswamis and Vrindavan could ignore it. They were, they were busy just establishing the basic tenets of their new uh, Chaitanya Sampradaya, if you will. And that was a distant development that they didn't really have time for. But in time, Gaudiya Vaishnavism could not ignore it if it was to be alive and vital uh, in the world. But no one was taking up uh, the challenge. Hmm? Um, and perhaps they didn't even recognize the, 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 that there was such a challenge. Renunciates, uh, Babaji's living as, as recluses and so forth. Uh, they were uh, uh, not concerned um, with that, which is a position to take. Hmm? You may not be concerned with all types of, just be concerned with the ideas and the way the world is picture is painted literally in the Bhagavatam and Chan Hare Krishna and be happy, but it's hard to ignore in our, the, the, the rumblings of the world and insights and cultural changes, social changes and so forth. Um, 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 but uh, as I say, Gaudiya Vaishnavism was, was not well respected in this developing middle class of educated Hindus had um, educated in religious um, Hindus. It was alive and well, to some extent, in, in, in the person of sadhus, in the doms. Um, but uh, at the same time, there was a lot of misrepresentation of it and um, a lot of mistaking uh, or conflating principles with details, which uh, ends up being a dogmatic, kind of lifeless um, uh, presentation. So it wasn't in the mix, and and indeed Bhakti Mataka was was schooled against it by the Advaitins, by the Brahma Samaj, uh, by um, by the British Christian thinking, and so on and so forth. So it's very interesting that here he was in this mix and being educated and, um, and systematically even to an extent educated against Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He, he, he confessed in his famous speech um, entitled the Bhagwat, which he uh, delivered in Dinajpur in 1869 when he was 31 years old. This speech is electrifying. It really, uh, speaks so loudly as to who Bhakti Thakur is. He's only 31 years old, and, and he came out with, with, with a, in, in spite of being educated against the Bhagavatam and confessing in the, in, in, the, in the speech that that's how he, that type of bias against the Bhagavatam, he had developed through his education, dismissed it altogether, Here's all these ideas and religious reform going on, and it's an exciting time. And Gaudiya Vaishnavism is not even in the mix. The Bhagavatam is just like, oh, that's not even part of the part of the discussion. That's some playboy out there, you know, uh, that it's immoral. 
that foolish, ignorant people think is God. That, that's how he was taught to think and thought. And in spite of all of this uh, disparaging from a Gaudiya perspective, uh, influence, he somehow surfaced with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a understanding of the Bhagavatam uh, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself had and held close to his heart. And this is what came out in the speech. And that speech is so electrifying because it's so spiritually deep and internal, yet so universal at the same time. It really exemplifies this, his ability to, to and tendency to gravitate towards the, the essence and never mistake details for, for principles, uh, which is which really the death of, of, of a tradition in, in, in a sense. So at 31 years old, I mean, this, some of you have read it, it's, it's been published. It's so electrifying. You should sit down today if you have a copy with friends and, and, and read through it. The universality of it um, is, is so compelling. It's so uniting. The world today is very divided in, in our country, in the United States in, in particular, but other, other places as, as, as well. And um, um, uh, it, in contrast, it's so universal and uniting of a spirit. Uh, just very, without, as I say, compromising the depth and he's really speaking, but the Bhagavatam is, is the heartbeat of, of, the, of, the, of the absolute. And uh, you're not gonna get closer to him than that, yet it's all encompassing and, and, and he, as, as such, there he acknowledges truth everywhere and he's not just he's not he's speaking about the bhagavatam and 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 in the context of of doing that saying it's not all in your own book and his book is the bhagavatam and the bhagavatam is saying it's not just in this book hmm? but we can't say enough about it but it's everywhere to one percent or another but it's said in, in such a way there that we think well it's mostly here <laughs> this is his um, his, his opinion. So very, very compelling, powerful, powerful speech. And this is as a 30-year-old, as, as 31-year-old uh, man. Hmm? And, and, and from that, he brought Gaudiya Vaishnavism hmm, onto the stage, world stage with, of the world, world religions. Hmm? I mean, it's an extraordinary uh, accomplishment. Hmm. And of course, it extends through his community, his, his paribar, through Bhakti Siddhanta, through uh, Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada, and so forth. Uh, and we're all the whole world that has been touched to whatever extent, or whoever is anywhere in the world by Gaudiya Vaishnavism, is all coming from this extraordinary contribution of Bhakti Vinod. I mean, he has been written about now by a number of scholars who have just looked into his, his person and, and contribution in his times. And I think that they've realized that while persons like Rabindranath uh, Tagore are well-known names, like his, as I said, he met with, he was a poet, but a uh, philosopher, he met with Einstein. There was a meeting of science and humanities and, and so forth. And other 
uh, names that I met, Aurobindo Ghosh and others that have, were prominent uh, at the time. Uh, Bhakti Nod's prominence has outlasted that time. So those names are nobody writing about those, exploring those, but the contribution of Bhakti Vinod is, has, has come to light, so to speak. Um, even in academia, he's a very interesting uh, subject. There are at least half a dozen dissertation, PhD dissertations, not, and not all by some of one or two by devotees um, who are kind of discovering Bhakti Vinod Thakur in terms of who he, who he is, what his contribution was, but by other academics. And, um, and therein, I read one um, comment um, that uh, described him as the most prominent uh, Vaishnav in the whole, the whole world, <laughs> the whole world of India, the whole of the, the, whole of the Vaishnav uh, community with millions of followers, I guess he's speaking of as it is today, with millions of followers. So <laughs> Bhakti, we know, Bhakti, we know, Thakur, I mean, we, we, you know, the disciples of Prabhupada like to speak about his contribution and it's immense and, and immeasurable and so forth. But to put it in perspective, in his own uh, words, well, we let us refer to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, when Bhakti, we Thakur said, In the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates, which he witnessed through his internal visions, still playing out in Navadvitam, he said, I am just a sweeper, sweeper in, in front of the Sankirtan. And Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur said, And I am one straw in the broom of Bhakti Thakur. And Prabhupada, how he thought about Bhakti Siddhanta, he became like just like very like a child when he just mentioned his name. He, he was hum, humbled at the contribution of, of his Guru Maharaj. So we got a big, great, and uh, great, great grandfather, and and good reason to refer to our tradition as Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati chose to do as the Bhakti Vinod um, Paribar. Uh, that idea, of course, meets with some really Kanishta Adhikari opposition that is clothed as the most esoteric, deep, and spiritual insight into the tradition. That's how it's clothed, but if you take it apart in its naked form, it's just a Kanishta Adhikari dogmatic, sectarian um, uh, perspective. I mean, we can look to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself as an example. What can we do? Who is the, who is the you know, what, what is the paribar of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? We, 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 he's an extraordinary spiritual person. That cannot be denied. If he's not found in the scripture, well, we better rewrite the scripture, write a new book, write a new verse, or find a way to fit him in there. Uh, otherwise, we have to throw out the scripture. Hmm? would be the way to look at it. And that's pretty much what the Goswamis did. <laughs> they found ways to write him in and, 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 and interpret verses grammatically and substantially in ways that had never been uh, understood before to be references to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And again, that was their idea. Well, if he's not in the book, then we don't need the book. Hmm? Uh, so 
we do need the book, and he is in the book, <laughs> and, 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 and what he says uh, is uh, what he embodied. They, as I like to say, sometimes he located him, they located him on the scriptural map, which was the way of determining what's what at the time. Hmm? Um, there was a Puranic sense of history, so he had to be an avatar as, as, as um, described in the Puranas and so on and so forth. So the, the Kali Yuga avatar, and they, they put it all together like this. There may be other ways to talk about that. That's fine. Um, um, but the point is that his spirituality was, was, was un undeniable. <clears throat> and so it is with uh, Bhakti Thakur, so much so that uh, I think it was Shishu Kumar Ghosh, famous um, journalist and uh, devotee also, referred to him as the seventh uh, Goswami. And he was the seventh Goswami, not only in terms of his writing, but also in terms of his um, discovering the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and bringing attention to Navadvip, like the Goswamis in their time, following Chaitanya Mahaprabhu brought attention to Vrindavan. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to Vrindavan, nobody knew where Radhakund, Shamakund was, and so forth and so on. He went, and then he sent Rupa and Sanatan there to establish that, uh, and they did. It was one of the, one of the uh, fourfold, I think, orders he gave to Sanatana Swami. The Rupa Goswami also took to heart. Um, but Bhakti Vinod did that in a sense, in relation to Navadvip. Plus he wrote, I think he wrote about 32 or five books and uh, published more than a hundred um, that he, books that he either edited or translated and so forth. So he's a very uh, prolific um, author at the same time. And, and again, while he was interfacing with the modern world and giving Gaudiya Vaishnavism to it, to examine and think about which they which they still are you know it, it's not like um it's not like black lives matter or something it's not on the front page type of a, an issue and so forth but the extent to which it has become a subject of interest um is remarkable hmm? in comparison to as i'm explaining where it was when bhakti Minotaka hit 31 and gave his bhagwat speech. I mean, the people whom he was surrounded by, schooled by, educated by, who thought he had promised the different groups that thought he'll join us, surely, any day now, Bhakti Vinod is going to join us, and our, 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 our group will be better for it, considerably. Suddenly, he joined the Gaudias. It was like, what? It's, uh, they thought he was you know, it had a lapse uh, of, of reason, but he just came out with such good reasoning as to Gaudiya Vaishnavism that it is as not only widely spread, you know, we know about it, it's a thing, uh, there's people all over the world chanting and so forth. It may be not that influential, small number in some respects, they're not on the front page at the moment, uh, but that besides the group itself, the interest in it in academia and in other religious traditions that have to think about it, talk about it in relation to their own and so forth, this never would have happened. Never would have happened without Bhakti Vinod. 
in whom the idea and the inspiration came and the first and very powerful foot forward was, was placed. Obviously, Bhaktisiddhanta and the words of Pujapachita Maharaj gave shape to the vision of Bhaktivinoda and in his words also, Bhaktivinoda Swami Prabhupada took it all over the world. But he himself always considered this inappropriately. So this, his movement, ISKCON as it was, was the movement of Bhaktivinoda. So, uh, on the one sense, on the, on the one side, he was interfacing with the modern world and speaking in a universal way. He took rather, as I've said before, a, a perennialist type of perspective. Um, and, and in that, that, what I mean is he acknowledged the truth in all religious traditions while speaking about the virtues of his own. Um, and uh, he, in a very broad way, he 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 well, he, he considered Krishna in Braj as the perfect object of love, the deity in relation to whom the fullest expression of love of God could be uh, experienced. And that love of God, which is the other side of rasa, you have the object of love, Krishna, and then you have the love itself, right? So you have the, the vishai, vishai means object, vishai, Alambana, the object of love, and the ashray alambana. Ashray means the shelter of, so the, so the, so the shelter of that love, or the, the vessel of that love. Hmm? The, the, the love personified, like Radha is the vessel of the love, the fullest expression of love, and, and Krishna is the object of love, perfect object of love. You can't have one there without the other. You can't have Krishna in, in Svayam Bhagavan without Radha. She, he corresponds with her vision. So he, 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 he um, appropriately uh, spoke of Krishna as the perfect object of love, that uh, form of the Godhead with whom love in all of its nuance can be experienced. And uh, this really rather objective. Nobody else is speaking about how you can have romantic love with, with God. Mm-hmm friendly love, although in a generous way, Bhaktivinoda would say things like, in Christianity, we have friendly love, we have brotherly love, hmm? Sakya. But here we have Madhuri. <laughs> it's generous to, to speak about it like that. But um, while doing that, in terms of his perennialist type of approach, he said, and the, he more or less said, the human heart is the ashray. Hmm? Now, this could be misinterpreted, I think, uh, to be a theological statement uh, to the effect that bhakti is inherent in the jiva. And some people have taken it like that. And in some places in his writing, it's understandable how they may have taken it in that way because he, he, he kind of went in that direction. But I think that's really the spirit, if you look at him carefully, of what he was trying to do was, was to say that the capacity to love God is inherent in everyone's heart, in every human being. And it's from the North Pole to the South Pole, from the educated people to indigenous, uh, uneducated people, there is a capacity in every human heart to love God. And there are different traditions that, that tender to that and bring it out, serve to bring it out to one extent or another. They bring it out by their methodology 
hmm? and conceptual uh, framework. And, the, and that then to the extent that the jiva who has that capacity lends himself his effort you know, to that particular system. But that the capacity to love God is inherent in all human beings. It's a natural phenomenon. It's, um, it's, uni it's universal. Hmm? You have to argue with Freud, I guess, but it's, uh, uh, this, so this was very, uh, this is a kind of a perennialist idea. And to say, of course, this is, this is accurate, uh, that, 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 that the human heart, if you will, is the, uh, the capacity to love God is there, is, is accurate in terms of the Goswami's founding Acharya's um, theology. That's not to say that bhakti is inherent in the jiva, but the capacity to love and receive bhakti and a, um, a invitation, so to speak, from that side through one tradition or another, that capacity is there in the human heart. <clears throat> um, so this was a way, one of the, one kind of example of how he universalized and uh, very much, uh, very interesting to, to, to give such focus to a particular sect, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, bring it to light, all in the context of, of speaking about our ways, not the only way. There are other ways, other trajectories to transcendence. They're all speaking about the same thing to one extent or another, which is a very perennialist uh, perspective. So he, he, this was his, I, I, you could say it was his method, but it was his natural I would say also way, way of thinking. You could say that he also that he, uh, you know, systematically arrested authority from the existing Gaudiya Vaishnavas. But another way to look at it, well, they, they didn't have authority within the middle class <laughs> that was developing in Calcutta at the time. They had some authority in the villages and amongst uneducated people uh, who were maybe nominally Vaishnavas and Vaishnavas in name only, born in Vaishnav families got their initiation formally um, and so forth, but the middle class wasn't interested in it. He became the, the authority by his, without trying to be the authority, just by his, his, his person. Um, and so he, while um, working in this way with the modern world, and he's on the other side, he's also working with, with the problems within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the misrepresentation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He's kind of speaking to that as well. I mentioned it earlier, the idea of, you know, this, this idea of the Siddha Pranali. So you had to have be in a line of, un, of perfect Siddhas back to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Otherwise it's, it's not going to come to you. And uh, it's a beautiful idea and so forth, but uh, it, it's, it's very, very, practical, if you look at any number of the unbroken lines of siddhas, you'll have very good reason to think, well, some of these aren't siddhas. Uh, they're just persons that are in, in, in the line. And just to call them a siddha doesn't make him one. Uh, let me give you an example. There's a there's Bijai, Bijai Krishna Goswami is a famous member of the um, Advaita Paribar. The community of actually the Dwaita Vamsa, the family lineage of Dwaita Charja. 
he was so prominent at the time, early in his life, that, it, that members of that Dwayta Vamsa considered him to be a, uh, have been uh, prophesied in Lochandas Thakur's book, Chaitanya Mongol, hmm? as a recoming of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, 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 in the family of Advaita. There's some verse in there that could be uh, perhaps construed like that, and Bijai Krishna Goswami was thought by them to be such. Interestingly, as an aside, Bijai Krishna Goswami, um, I think it was the 10th generation in the Advaita uh, uh, family lineage, the Vamsa. Um, he had uh, his whole life affinity for Sakyarasa. <laughs> just an aside. Um, but here he was a Siddha, so thought to be, in the line and in a prominent way. And he, at, he came in touch around these times with the Brahma Samaj, which was anti-guru and looked at the scriptures in a, in a different way. And uh, he gave up becoming a siddha in the line, considered it an ancestral line only, and became a member of the Brahma Samaj. Of course, once he was in the Brahma Samaj, he, he, he tried to incorporate Namsan Kirtan into it. And he did to, to some extent. Eventually, he left the Brahma Samaj also. And he's a great person in his own right, but he was kind of bouncing around from, from group to group him, himself and, and denounced himself the line that he's in as being nothing more than ancestral hmm? rather than spiritual in, in, in all respects. He's a prominent example worth, worth bringing up. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's one thing to, to um, in name, refer to a line. Pranali means line. Uh, Siddha means perfect, per perfect masters. It's another thing to be, to be perfect. Um, something's better than nothing, you could say. So something may come through and um, wherever it does, this was the insight of Bhaktivedanta Sarasthakur, of course, practical insight, it should be acknowledged. And Bhaktivedanta Thakur as well, who was acknowledging in different traditions and so forth, to a different extent, the dispensation of divinity was, 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 was present. Um, so if out of nowhere he appeared, hmm, then it must have been Krishna's own uh, arrangement to send him something like that. Seventh Goswami. So people started to reason like this. Although he had his lineage, he had his, his Siddha Purnali, it's apparent that, uh, and I've written about this recently in my articles about um, Anangamanjari, that in his own line, Niksha line, he differed from some of the theological, significant theological perspectives that were um, uh, espoused by the, by the founder of the Bhagnapar line of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So he, and, and, and instead he aligned himself with the Goswami's um, theology. So he took that theological liberty. There's, it's not just a sectarian argument when we say that Bhaktivinoda Thakur was more than his line, you know, put together, at least for a few generations. It's very, very, very 
very practical. Um, so, as I said earlier, like we have to locate Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we have, we have to identify Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta used to say, well, we find in him things that are not there in Bhikkhun Bihari Goswami. He was initiating, not to dismiss Bhikkhun Bihari Goswami, and Bhakti Vinod Thakur never did, but um, his, his contribution exceeded the contribution of its whole line put together. So to call it the Bhakti Vinod Parimar is appropriate. So he re was a reformer. He was a reformer in his typical eclectic and uh, kind of broad-minded uh, spirit. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur followed the work of um, Bhakti Vinod in terms of trying to reform the tradition with an entirely different method. He was more like beating head on in a collision uh, with um, members of the tradition. Um, but he was kind of taking the ball, if you will, from, from Bhakti Vinod in a, in a handoff and then, you know, making a breakaway. Um, so so they, they look different in their approach, even though they're doing the exact same thing. And, and who can deny it? That Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur was the prominent disciple of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. The world would not know over about Bhakti Vinod if it weren't for Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, who made it his mission to publish the works of Bhakti Vinod Thakur primarily um, and give shape, as I said earlier, according to Pujapachita Maharaj, to the vision uh, and ideals of, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. So, you know, nowadays there are some who say uh, there's a book been written, The Other Side of Bhakti Vinod. It's not the other side of Bhakti Vinod. This is the, the esoteric side of Bhakti Vinod that, that, it, that brings up the philosophical and theological ideas that we find in his lineage that he never espoused, never voiced, never wrote it about, wrote about, never gave any attention to as if those were actually the secret inner ideas of Bhakti Vinod that he didn't, he didn't uh, bring out. And this is the real esoteric Bhakti Vinod. Some of my god brothers at a certain point in ISKCON's history after the passing of Prabhupada left ISKCON and took shelter of the brother of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthitaka who was also initiated, who was initiated by Bhakti Vinod. Um, and interestingly, uh, the most prominent of those told me that we wanted that connection with the Bhakti Vinod. And if you, if you know anything, what he was really saying and feeling is, we want that connection with, the, with that universality of Bhakti Vinod, that spiritual essence, of that saragrahi sensibility of Bhakti Vinod. Not a kanishta adhikari, it has to be done just like this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or you're out, and dogmatic type of presentation that tends to conflate details again with, with principles and so forth. But then they came to conflate some of them, the, the principles with the details and you have to have it just like this in an unbroken one. Otherwise it's, I mean, I just looked at that reasoning and I said, well, you know, if Prabhupada, as you reason is in some unbroken line, I guess unbroken lines work because the mantras are working pretty good for me that I've received. So I'll just base it on my experience here. If you're, you know, teaching, 
contradicts the distinct spiritual experience I'm driving from the mantra. I have to choose the, the mantra. I can't give up the mantras. I told him when I spoke to one of my godas about this, I said, you know, you must have been lacking experience at the time to, you know, they were working for me. <laughs> anyway, we were friends, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but the, uh, 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 it's happening, yeah, today too. This is, this is like very, this, this is natural tendency to lean towards a, a pr provincial and uh, uh, dogmatic, less than dynamic notion and understanding of spirituality in one's own tradition. And Bhaktivinoda was, as, as I say, just uh, the, the antithesis of that. In his own term that he invoked, Saragrahi, an essence-seeking Vaishnava, he really uh, personified this. And, um, and is a perfect person really um, to bring out that much more. As I said, there have been a number of uh, doctoral theses on him and writings about him and so forth. Um, yeah, but he's a perfect uh, person to, uh, as as a householder. Hmm? Uh, I think he fathered ten or ten or twelve children. Um, he worked in the British government. Interestingly about him is that he is that unlike practically all of the thinkers in Calcutta at the time who were religious reformers of Hinduism, he was not a nationalist. He didn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't all up in arms about the British, whether bad things about it, you know, that can be said, but his concern was not at all nationalism, but beyond internationalism, if you will. It's something that distinguishes him from, from all of the other um, thinkers in that milieu at, 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 that, at that time. It's, it's an interesting point given the, some of the nationalist uh, perspectives in in the world today that are an, an anathema, you know, just an extension of the bodily uh, conception of life. As good as Gandhi's movement was, Swaraj, liberation from the British to be a, to be an Indian is, is a far cry from what the term Swaraj in the scripture, what Mukti really means, right? Um, so uh, his it means to say that his spiritual perspective, his theology, was not tinged by any nationalistic um, or um, other sectarian bodily identification, upadi. Hmm? Um, and you find that. Uh, you find that. Was, that was a remarkable thing about, about Prabhupada, uh, that he uh, comparatively so I met a, a number of Gaudiya Vaishnavas in different lineages who I've been, uh, I was once walking in Mardavan, there was an assembly of sadhus gathering at one temple. And I thought, wow, let's, let's go and check it out. They wouldn't let me in because I was white. <laughs> white lives matter. I know. <laughs> Gaudiya Vaishnava lives matter. So, uh, <laughs> So, um, um, or uh, one of my godbrothers was part of a mission uh, had, in the absence of Prabhupada had taken shelter of another mission in India where he was stationed and uh, was a, 
led by a disciple of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarchathakur and the members felt that if they touched the shadow of that devotee, they would become contaminated. So these are all caste type ideas, Varnashram type ideas, infiltrating into, tinging the purity of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, nationalism is, a, is another casteism and so forth. All of these things were uh, something that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching completely transcends and it was very much there in Bhagavad and very much there in my, in my groomer. Some of his gabras would not, would be careful or concerned not to eat grains cooked by Prabhupada's disciples because they had a bad background in their estimation. They came from outside of India and so forth. So, but Prabhupada was not, was not like that at all. Hmm? Um, uh, and, and it's very much in this way he um, carried the spirit and holy spiritual perspective of Thakur Bhakti Vinod. So these are a few thoughts on a great Thakur on this holy day and like to uh, take a moment and ask if anyone has any questions they'd like to ask or comments they'd like to um, add to the discussion. If someone has a question, you could press the like raise your hand thing or um, you could ask it in the chat because we have it to where you can't unmute yourself. I see. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can, yeah, I, I can unmute. Sarah Louise. Yeah. Okay. Let me see. She's commenting that um, Bhakti Vinod was behind sending the first literature to the, reach the Western world in, 19, in 1896, year of Prabhupada's birth. His book, uh, what was it, The Teaching, Life and Teachings of. Something like that. Uh, reached McGill University in Canada, and she's wondering what the academics thought of it. Uh, it's hard to say um, what they thought of it. Um, he also corresponded with, or he wrote to, um, what who are referred to as the first American transcendentalists. The um, what is his name? Thoreau, yeah, uh, Henry David Thoreau and others. He was, he found their, their burgeoning, developing interest in Eastern philosophy, the Gita and, and so forth was something that he had heard about, took note of and wrote, wrote to them. Of course, it's not, postal system wasn't like it is now in need of repair, um, but uh, in the United States, <laughs> but there was no email and so either whether they received those letters or not is unknown, but his insight to reach out to them, the first American transcendentalists, interestingly enough, there's a, there's a, there is a sense that with the pandemic and extended related issues, byproducts of this, that the, that the world turned more towards the American original transcendentalist perspective, at least of self-reliance and, uh, so forth. Um, but anyway, yes, he wrote he, to them. He, 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 he sent the book and how it was received, it's, it's, uh, it's probably hard to say without, without some follow through and his personal association and, and, and so forth. Um, 
it probably sat in, in, in a library as a curious and interesting piece of, of uh, uh, from the East. Um, it took the follow through of someone like, like, like Prabhupada, for example, to, to uh, step on the shores here and, and uh, exemplify the teaching personally and uh, capture some Western converts and so forth. But, but yeah. yeah, what else? I know that Panchatava had a question and I'm asking him to unmute. Panchatattva, proper glorification action of Prabhupada. Uh, Maharaj, proper, you, yes. If I'm unmuted, you, you had talked, uh, you've talked in the past about proper glorification of Srila Prabhupada, and we just uh, had Srila Prabhupada's Vyas Puja. And so I spoke about that, about your concepts and putting Srila Prabhupada <laughs> in context, specifically with Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's contribution. And it was quite an eye-opener for most people <laughs> to hear that. But yeah. I think, it, you know, for me, when I first heard the concept from you years ago, it, it helped tremendously. Um, specifically, I think you told me I wouldn't be here without Bhaktivinoda Thakur's contribution. Mm. And in the past, I thought, well, I'm here because of Srila Prabhupada, but to extend it, you know, back to Bhaktivinoda Thakur and back to the Goswamis is really quite a powerful concept. Yeah. And so I, I just thought, you know, you might want to talk a little bit about your or comment about what you, you know, proper glorification of Srila Prabhupada means in the context of Srila Bhaktivinoda, Bhaktivinoda Thakur's. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an important point. Obviously, it probably didn't appear in a vacuum, and and often it's thought like that, and it was experienced like that to some extent. Also, out of nowhere, there he was, you know, uh, came into your life, and he's talking about things like disciplic successions and 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 infallible books, and it's all figured out, and here it is, and and it, it worked pretty good, but. Um, uh, you know, he was a kind of at the time a lone uh, representative and luminary of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which had uh, the lights of which Gaudiya Vaishnavism had dimmed in India. <coughs> excuse me, also, in <coughs> excuse me, in comparison to <coughs> the, um, the very bright and luminous mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who opened 64 monasteries in India and was bringing in um, educated people, not just village boys, but men and women with college degrees and so forth, uh, giving up uh, Gandhi's movement to join the Gaudiya Moth and, and so forth. Uh, uh, critiquing um, the tradition itself and um, and so on and so forth, uh, um, you know, all his revolutionary steps and innovation, which was thought to be deviation by those who conflated, again, details with principles and so forth. Um, so that light dimmed considerably, you know, the passing of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and time, um, 
I think he left in 1936, it wasn't until 1965 when the prophet came to America. So 30 years later, um, and then he lit up, you know, lit up the Western world and we were in the newspapers and so forth. Hare Krishna was an epidemic and, and uh, members of Congress were concerned about the proportions to you know, the extent to which it was influencing people. Um, and Prabhupada was thinking all publicity is good publicity. He was right at the time. And you and I, Panchatad, were very much involved in that dissemination of his books, um, which was controversial at the time. So, um, um, so he kind of appeared like to us, like, like, like out, of, out, of, out, of, out of nowhere. We didn't know any history of God devices or anything. Um, but I think that um, obviously, if you, if you really are, want to know Prabhupada, then you want to know who, he, who his friends were, who his, who his associates were, who, you know, something about his guru, the farm guru, the context, um, which, you know, he appeared out of a vacuum, but he didn't say he was a, appeared out of nowhere. He said the opposite. Hmm? But we didn't have the thought or the time or the necessity to look into it. But if you do look further into it, that, that's, you know, the first place you're going to go. And then you're going to get some context, which, which then you're going to better understand what happened to you hmm? and why it happened the way it did and, and, and so forth. So it can only enrich your own understanding, even while it appears on its face to be going in the opposite direction. Like some people say, well, why do I have to hear about Bhakti? No, Prabhupada did everything for me. You know, I mean, it's like a crazy thing to say, but some people think like that. Uh, why should I read Bhakti Vinod's books? Uh, you know, uh, I haven't read all the Prabhupada's books or something like that. Maybe you should read all the Prabhupada's books, but you know, he does quote Bhakti Vinod and it's a natural place to go. I mean, I was very, was very natural for me from the very, from the very get-go. I mean, I was famous for selling Prabhupada's books, but in the in early days in Los Angeles, in the, in, in the Culver City, Venice, what is it called? Culver City Temple there. Um, um, the, the Prabhupada sent a whole like container of books from Gaudiya Math, and I used to sell them at the Sunday feast to devotees. We didn't have, we had Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, teachings of Lord Chaitanya. I don't even think we had the, the, the full edition of the Bhagavad Gita at that time. Maybe maybe the Nectar Devotion, but it had all these little booklets, Gaudiya Math books and so forth. So um, I read the, the, the Bengwish, as I call it, edition of the Jaiva Dharma, half Bengali, half English, like in uh, you know, 1973. Um, so, and I like, I like that, you know, kind of a thing. So, but a lot of devotees, um, you know, didn't. And, and it's really um, unfortunate, um, like I say, to, to know the history, the con in context is, is, is only to understand him better. And he does appear in time and circumstance with a particular mission, uh, you know, in, 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 that he's empowered for. And, and, and so forth. You know, we can look at the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, each of them did everything, but each of them did things that the others didn't do. <laughs> Rupa Goswami didn't do what Nityananda Prabhu, and Nityananda Prabhu didn't do what Rupa Goswami did, but they both did everything. <laughs> Something like that. Um, Bhakti Mnoh did everything. 
He said, I left the world, my work undone. When I asked about that, Prabhupada said, oh, he could have done everything, but he left something for us to do. So that is his mercy. Hmm? Give us some service. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, I think, just fairly uh, uh, common that uh, a less than dynamic understanding of his own tradition may, will come amongst the majority members to be the prominent um, understanding and thus the need of ongoing reform and unsettling of, of members with, uh, with preaching that isn't just a pat on the back, but makes them think and rethink and, and give up ideas that they think are central to or, or uh, uh, substantial in terms of the tradition that, that, that often, as it turns out, may, may, may not be. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, to meet uh, Prabhupada's dear friend and godbrother, whom he hosted for six years in his house, Pujapad Sridharmarsh, was very, uh, I, I, I thought he couldn't be in a better place to learn more about Prabhupada, even though he had a comparatively relative perspective on Prabhupada, from mine. He would give an example. The child will have an absolute perspective on, in terms of his love of the parent, but a relative one between brothers and sisters, the siblings. They may, they all have to say, dad's right, you know, mom's right, but you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm right, you're wrong, amongst themselves and so forth. So, uh, it's, it's very interesting to, to the, the, the very thing that you might think, and, and bodies shy away from what you're talking about and hearing about this 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 uh, perspective um, for fear of losing some appreciation for Prabhupada or being uh, somehow somehow having him diminished in their mind. It actually enhances their understanding. So uh, it's a natural. Uh, it's a natural progression. You, you know, you, I, I used to say to some devotees, well, you know, where you want to go, where you feel Prabhupada is, Sridhar Maharaj is there too. So you might as well, you got a chance to meet him now. You might as well meet him now. He's going to be there. You're going to have to deal with this. The things that he's saying, you're going to have to reckon with hmm, at some time. You might as well do it now. And it's quite, quite pleasant, actually. And, and it's only going to enhance your understanding of Prabhupada and, and kind of give help to make your faith more reasonable, more well-reasoned and balanced, hmm? rather than, you know, do, making it a balancing act, standing on one leg. And in a very fundamentalist kind of dogmatic way, everything is absolute. And it's just, a, it's kind of just a recipe for uh, Niyamagraha, hmm? following rules without understanding their purpose. And it's a whole, you know, International Society for Niyamagraha. So you want to you want to avoid that kind of a thing. That's not what he formed. <laughs> so, context, you know, and just practically speaking, context is everything, right? Something may have a meaning outside of context. That's true, and it may be profound. But if you put it in context, you know, you know like we we voice so many, you know, and they hightailed at home. That mean? Where does that come from? Look it up. It refers to to cows running with their tails up, coming home. You know, 
from the pasture. So that, so then it goes, oh, that's very much charming. <laughs> or where, where, where are the sayings, you know, come from? So context is, is, is useful. So, um, yeah, it's a very important point that uh, many people, unfortunately, have not come to uh, understand. They're hindered by it. Thank you for asking. Anything else? So, um, sorry, I didn't realize I wasn't unmuted earlier. So there's a, quite a few questions. Um, Vrindavan Das had a question. Uddhava, Indra, and maybe another one from Sharada. So um, I'll just read what Vrindavan Das typed. So it said, um, why did Bhakti Vino give Hari Nam and Diksha to Lalit Prashad and not Bhakti Siddhanta? Um, it would be difficult to give a definitive answer. Hmm? We weren't there. We don't know. It's he said, she said over 100, about 100 years or so or more. Um, and uh, I would say for good reason. What particularly was the reason? I, I, I don't think I could say in a way that anyone would, it would be universally accepted necessarily. There are detractors who have their reasons that don't add up and don't make sense um, because they make Bhaktisiddhanta out to be non-spiritual hmm? in, in, in their perspective on that. That, that obviously doesn't make any sense. Hmm? So, uh, um, uh, one of the, one of the, one reason may be that um, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he, he had, um, he had some issues with the initiating guru of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Pippin Bihari Goswami. He, he had kind of a sense that, that Bhakti Siddhanta, there was more in Bhakti Siddhanta or Bhakti Vinod than was in Bipin Bihari Goswami. He had some sense like that. And, and so perhaps for that reason, Bhakti Vinod Thakur said, well, you know, we take the Gorgashur Das Babaji. Another reason is that Bhakti Vinod Thakur uh, was a householder. Bhakti Siddhanta was a renunciate of Brahmachari. Gaur Kishore was a renunciate in, in, in Brahmachari. And, uh, uh, and he was very much respected by Bhakti Vinod Thakur and universally expected, respected at the time as a Siddha Purusha. He used to come and hear Gaur Kishore lectures of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Um, and Bhakti Siddhanta was in the mix as a son of, 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 of Bhakti Vinod. And so anything Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod may have found some reason, oh, he's better connected with Bhakti 
with Gorkashwar than me, that, that may be good for him in terms of the long-term uh, mission that I have and extending it and so forth. Um, some per, Bhakti Vinod was a person of some controversy. Uh, he was in a battle to establish what was the birthplace of Bhakti of, of, of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this, this was uh, then, he, uh, um, there was opposition to that. Um, he became controversial in this regard in the eyes of his own guru, Bhikkhuni Goswami. Uh, he might wanted, have wanted to um, keep Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur out of that, have him initiated by someone that no one could complain about, and, and so forth. Uh, any, those are some thoughts on the matter. Um, but he was initiated by Bhakti, by Gorkhashwaras Babaji, and he began initiating disciples himself, Bhakti Siddhanta, in the presence of Gorkhashwaras Babaji and Bhakti Thakur for a few years before they both passed away, uh, obviously with their, with their blessings. So um, why did he, it was later in his life, at the end of his life, uh, that he gave initiation to the younger brother, Lake Prashad. And he had obviously a different trajectory. Lake Prashad had an, uh, a trajectory that was uh, internal um, and he had no voice in the world, no, no kind of influence. Um, but Bhakti Siddhartha had a different destiny and perhaps in consideration of that, possibility or that hope on the part of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. He sought to have him initiated by Guru Kishore Babaji. There may be internal reasons for it also, but as I say, no one could say other than Bhakti Vinod. <laughs> Do you want, um, do you want to answer the next question? What is it? I'm trying to okay. find it. <laughs> Let me see. Um, okay, so the next question is from Uddhava from Spain. And it said, can you expand on the idea given by Sridhar Maharaj on the different moods of preaching by Bhakti Vinod to comparison to Bhakti Siddhanta? Well, Let's say I say um, it'd be nice if there was uh, if there was a rose garden here. Say we're sitting and taking prasadam. I say it'd be nice if we had a rose garden. That means someone should make a rose garden, <laughs> but it's a way of way of saying it that's that's uh, rather in indirect. Hmm? And then I could say. I want a rose garden and it should be right out here and I want you to do it. So that's the difference between Bhakti Vinod and, and Bhakti Siddhanta, something like that. Uh, Bhakti Vinod would meet with different persons, even that he was criticizing and discuss with them. And some of them Bhakti Siddhanta wouldn't even, wouldn't even meet with. He was more confrontational. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you could say that you know, in, 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 in terms of reforming a tradition, mm -hmm, which was the intention of Bhakti Minotakur, and something that um, 
Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur took up uh, seriously, he, um, I should say that he took it up seriously also in light of the fact that his own effort to just do what Bhakti Vinodha Thakur wanted that required innovation for world preaching was meeting with exception from the tradition, which so then he had to answer back. And by the way, um, there's things about you that should be brought up as well. It was kind of, you know, the, the place he found himself in. Um, whereas Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not in that position. He had an idea. Hmm? Bhaktisiddhanta was giving shape to the idea. So when you start giving shape to the idea, then the idea starts to become practical and it 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 it, it has more puts more pressure on people to change and so forth than just thoughts about it. Hmm? And so you know, they had to navigate the course uh, differently with a different um, mentality, different disposition. So Bhakti Vinod looked a little more hands-off and Bhakti Vinod looked a little more hands-on. But again, that's the difference between an idea and giving shape to an idea. Hmm. What else? So the next question is from Indra. And she says, Hare Krishna Maharaj, in light of preaching uh, the essence of universality, what do you think of the broadcasting work of Jay Shetty? I don't know who he is. I guess I'm not universal enough. <laughs> I think he's a devotee who, um, I don't know, I, Haridas is in the other room, but he, he does kind of like self-help kind of stuff and like motivational speaking is my understanding. Um, yeah, that's basically what I know about him. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, I don't know him, but um, there are some devotees that uh, are preoccupied with that. I would think it's rather superficial. Um, it's a good thing, self-help for people, psychological help and so forth. I think that's, that's good in itself, but... Um, I think that um, it lends to a very, very superficial explanation of, of the of the philosophy and it can get people involved on a superficial level, which then they'll have to contend with later on what the philosophy really says. Um, you know, to give an example, if you say, well, this is personalism. You're a person, right? You're an individual. And they go, yeah, right. And my body say that you're you're, you're as impersonal. Yeah, so you don't want that, right? Yeah. So they they get involved, but then they have to learn later on that the person that you think you are, you know, is not who you are, and all that you're doing to balance yourself and so forth is is good in one sense, but. It's all an ego that has to be effaced. Maybe it's a stage in becoming healthy to do that, but it has to be done and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I suppose, you know, um, with, I would say with the dissemination of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the hands of different people, it's going to come out in different ways and appeal to different people. And there'll always be some necessity to preach on a deeper level. 
as to what it's about, which is more my preoccupation. Um, so uh, I don't I don't listen to that stuff too much. It has its its value. Um, it it tends to be religious rather than spiritual. I would say more religious. Um, join a group and be happy. And there's something to be said for that. I mean, even mystics need a, in one sense, we would do well to have a religious community behind them. And then their ideas could, could um, have some support. Um, but anyway, I'm not familiar with the individual. I've, I've, I've seen some people have, some devotees have podcasts and, you know, I think they- I think he might have a podcast. Wanna be uh, talking heads, I don't know. I think they could. I'm a little critical. Um, I, I think that if people are going to do that, they need to be educated in the field very well. Also, they're going to look a little, and I'm not saying this person is going to oh, no, they're, they're going to look a little foolish, but I've seen a couple, I saw one yesterday, a podcast by some devotees, and it was very, very pseudo intellectual unbeknownst to them. I think they thought they were being very intellectually sound and tight and, uh, and so it was rather childish in terms of my insight on it. So you want to avoid that. So if you're going to do something like that, you want to do it right, I suppose. Um, anyway, again, I, I don't know the person. So. And then, um... The last question from Sharada, she says, at Sharanagati here, we will be continuing through the book, uh, the book Sharanagati, which is, um, which has the life of Srila Bhakti Vinod at the request of Yamuna Devi before she passed away. I have a very emotionally stirring experience when we sing his songs in Bengali. I'm half Bengali. What, um, what is the feeling or sentiment felt by you, um, or Maraj, if he's answering the question, so I'm guessing she's asking for what your thoughts are. On? Um, my thoughts are on? So I think thoughts on like, okay, I have a very emotionally stirring experience when we sing um, these songs in Bengali. I guess like she's wondering like, what are the sentiments felt by you when you're singing these songs from Sharanagati? Well, the songs of Sharanagati are to help us embrace the idea of Sharanagati. So they should be very stirring and very compelling for the sadhaka. So the poor in sadhana bhakti, which precedes bhava bhakti as a stage, then Sharanagati is the main emphasis. So um, bhakti, and bhakti Vinod is, is in particular amongst Gaudiya theologians has really brought this out. Sharanagati is an anga of bhakti, a limb of bhakti, of the body of bhakti. Bhakti Vinod Thakur has emphasized this limb considerably, and he has uh, insightfully uh, connected Shraddha in her faith with the outer expression of Sharanagati, which is sixfold. And so he has songs, a couple of songs about each of the angas of, of, of the limb of Sharanagati. And they're the sub-angas of, of Sharanagati. And so they're very, very um, powerful, and you should have stirring of the heart to, to surrender as they, uh, to give up the things that are unfavorable, accept the things that are favorable and so on and so forth. 
Um, so it's very um, helpful um, on, the, on the part of Bhaktivinoda Thakur to put that into song we can imagine for Bengalis like, like herself um, uh, at the time he was uh, writing, taking these uh, you know, philosophical ideas and putting them in song. Hmm? Um, in poetry to uh, recite, and then they serve as, as an impetus to, um, to actually take up those, those angas and they cause some stirring. So this, is, this is characteristic of Bhaktivinoda. He also wrote some songs in the, in the um, he has a book called Baal, Baal, Baal Sangeet, so he took the melodies of the bowels, bowels of bowels, they're, they're a, a sect that is um, not um, uh, influenced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but not within the Orthodox teachings. And um, you've probably seen him on the train to come on with an ektar and sing beautifully and weep and, and so forth. They're, they're interesting people. Um, but um, from, a, from a theological point of view, they're not in line with uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings as it comes through the Goswamis. But he took the melodies in this book, Baal Sangeet, that were popular, and he then wrote songs that had the proper siddhanta. Uh, so it's another example of what he's doing there with Sharanagati. Particularly for a person uh, uh, who speaks Bangla like yourself, Mm-hmm. which is a great virtue, Ami Bhanglapuri, mm-hmm. but it takes a while. So uh, um, I can understand it would be stirring. For those who sing it like us, uh, I mean, I know, as I say, I'm learning Bengali, I'm always learning. Um, for those who sing it and don't know the Bengali, the, the, the English, Translations are good, but I, I think it's, you know, you're fortunate to be part Bengali and speak the language and some of the nuances can, can um, be appreciated more, more, more readily, but they're powerful spiritual songs um, regardless of the language and an example of the ways in which Bhaktivinoda Thakur kind of uh, tried to make Gaudi Vaishnavism in its pristine form, philosophically accessible to a larger um, audience, and you're a testament to the fact that he was, he's done that. So it's a very nice uh, idea there at the community of Sharanagati to uh, recite those, those songs. Um, there should be someone who comes and gives it a lecture to accompany them. That would be a nice seminar. You can ask uh, Bal Krishna about that. They can arrange such a seminar to bring some, some sadhu and speak on the songs Sharanagati. That would be beautiful. So anyway, we've talked for a while. Appreciate the questions and opportunity to speak to you all. Hope to be available and get together with you again next week. Bhaktivinoda Thakur Ki Jai. Jai. Thank you. Jai.